This is The Guardian. Today, the catastrophic cost of the wildfires in Greece. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. So we probably arrived around half past 10, 11 at night. And the first thing we noticed is it's really hot. Like in the 30s in the evening, and we're like, oh gosh, this is what it's going to be like in the evening. What is it going to be like in the daytime? But yeah, so you know, arrived in the hotel and just looked forward to the following day. Musarat Dar was on holiday in Rhodes last week with her partner and their children. After months of tight work deadlines, A levels, and university exams, they'd been really looking forward to relaxing. So we were always like in the pool and we'd arrange to do some diving. One of those glass bottom boats where you can jump off and see fish. So looking forward to enjoying the holiday and the weather. Tourists like Musarat are vital to Greece's economy. Around 25% of the country's income comes from tourism. And British tourists are especially keen on the islands. We visit in our millions every year to enjoy the delicious food, the landscapes, the hospitality and the weather. A fierce heat wave is gripping parts of Europe with temperatures reaching more than 40 degrees Celsius. But over the past few weeks, the temperatures across Greece and the whole of southern Europe have risen to being unbearable. In some places, 44 degrees Celsius. A heat wave that climate scientists have said this week would have been impossible if it weren't for human-made climate change. In Rhodes, as in many places across Southern Europe, wildfires are raging. By Friday, we woke up to smelling burning. Coming from that direction, the wind is really strong, so it's blowing it up the hill. And I'd say by late afternoon, the sky was just very hazy, like, you know, previously it had been very clear and blue. And we've now lost electricity uh, to our hotel. And at that time, I was concerned, and my daughter actually was scrolling on the internet, and she said to me, Mum, it's five kilometres away. Musarat and her family were faced with a choice to stay in their hotel and hope that the wildfire would be brought under control, or to try and find a way to leave the island. Wildfires are burning out of control on the island of Rhodes. And by this time, we had seen on the news in our room that further down, people had been evacuated and uh, people were running to the beach. Please, please, this way! 
Musrat says their holiday rep told them to stay calm and stay put. And by late afternoon, ash was falling on us. I had this real surreal memory of that evening because we went and ate our food in the taverna of the of the hotel. Greek music playing in the background. And in the near distance, we had darkening clouds and this red horizon. So that is the fire in the distance. And ash falling on us, on our food, on our clothes, in our drinks. And it felt like we were eating our last supper. That evening, the emergency message went out. The fire was spreading in their direction and everyone would need to evacuate as soon as possible. Musrat and the other hotel guests got on coaches and they were driven to a school where they'd stay for the next few days. Just arriving in a bit of a daze, found a classroom, sat on some of the chairs and just tried to process what had just happened and what we just saw. More than 20,000 people have been evacuated from their homes and from resorts as the wildfires have spread across the south of Rhodes in recent days. Thousands more on the islands of Evia and Corfu. And travel companies have been scrambling to arrange flights to take tourists home. But for those who live in Rhodes, it's the start of a long, expensive recovery. It's very, very bad, the situation. We need help. Send us help from everywhere. From The Guardian, I'm Hannah Moore. Today in Focus, a week of devastating wildfires in Rhodes. Rachel Hall, you're a reporter for The Guardian and you're in Rhodes at the moment. You've been there all week. How close have you got to the wildfires? On Tuesday morning, we were able to get quite close. There was a police roadblock uh, preventing people from going through the road uh, that was running through the middle of the fires, but they let us go through and there was a few sort of photographers and press people there. And we could see the firefighters battling the blaze. It was sort of popping up in different places. It seemed a bit like no sooner would they get one bit under control that you would spot another blaze appearing on the hillside. There were also propeller planes uh, that had gathered seawater that were coming, just a constant stream of them dumping the water on some of the larger blazes as well as the kind of conventional fire trucks and hoses. And it was just full of smoke. It seemed like, you know, they had the situation as under control as you could kind of hope in that sort of scenario. It didn't seem like it was completely wild and it was in a fairly sort of confined area that, that we were able to see. But definitely with the strong winds, the blazes, when they, when they did ignite, they would move and grow quite rapidly. Was it actually like to be breathing that air? Yeah, very smoky. I was coughing a bit afterwards. It was quite an oppressive environment that your eyes stung and and you could feel it sort of going into your lungs. Some people were wearing masks or other sort of protective items. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely not a very, not a very nice place to be. I, I really felt for the firefighters. It's also 35 degrees here. So everything just kind of contributes to this feeling of being in an inferno. 
just give us a sense of where these wildfires are on the island. Mm-hmm. So the, I mean, definitely it's some, from the impression I've got from talking to some people that they saw YouTube videos and they thought the whole island was ablaze. But actually, it's a pretty big island. It takes more than two hours to cross it, and. The northern end, which is where the airport is, which is where Rhodes Town is, which is where Faliraki, which is a very popular tourist destination is, that's all completely unaffected by the fires. So we drove from, so Rhodes Town is the top of the end, it took us about an hour to get to the point in the southeast where the fires are at the moment. Um, and they're now kind of in the central mountains. There's two separate blazes and then the smaller blazes within that. But you can see as you're driving along, I mean, the island is essentially two coast roads that join up. And you can see as you're driving along the coast road, all the the blackened buildings, um, there's ash everywhere, burned out trees and so on in that coastal area, which is right next to the beach, which is where all the tourists would have been in the hotels that were evacuated. So the fires have moved away from those places and we could see people starting to return. Some of the tavernas were open, although I understand there've still been some issues with power um, in the area. So there was a bit of a sense of normality returning, but in this kind of slightly surreal sort of lunar landscape. There are between 7,000 and 10,000 British tourists in Rhodes many of whom are being directly affected by the wildfires. What kinds of things have the people that you've been speaking to told you about what it's been like for them over the past few days? Yeah, I think the people who were in the hotels in the areas which the wildfires actually reached, I think some of them found it quite a scary experience. We went out for dinner and then we came, we were walking back from dinner past the beach and you could see across the bay like... Yeah, just like it was like red and you could like actually see each like individual flame. And we were like, oh, maybe this is getting a bit serious. We like, <laughs> and as we were discussing that, we got an alert through on our phones to evacuate. So there's a bit of a range of experiences, but, but for some people, they, they did really come very close to the fires. I've been speaking to a woman called Musarat, who's from the West Midlands, and she was on holiday in Rhodes with her family until last week. They got evacuated to a school. And I know there are similar emergency centres being set up across the island and you've been to one of them. Can you give us a sense of of what they're like? You know, how are they running? Who's volunteering there? And, and what's the atmosphere like? Well, so they're being run by, largely by local people, by local volunteers. Could you give me your full name? My name is Theodora Hatsianu. And what you're doing here? Uh, I'm originally from Rhodes. I grew up here, but I'm here on holidays <laughs> from New York. <laughs> but, and you're volunteering in this yes, centre? Yes, of course. Yeah. I mean, most of us feel completely helpless and really want to help and really want to uh, contribute in any way we can. So we, uh, I came here. I wasn't doing anything anyway, just watching the news. Mm-hmm. So I and the sense that I got from talking to them is they felt that there had been a bit of a, a bit of a sort of gap in support from the government. And so local people had to step in and that there's quite a strong sense of community here. I mean, every tourist who's benefited from these evacuation centres I spoke to has just just had so much praise for the volunteers that they encountered. The school. She was like, come use our shower. So like me and Chess went 
yeah, we went and showered shower. in their house. Um, they cooked us like a massive meal yeah. because we'd eaten so much yeah. that day for <laughs> everyone else. We were like, I'm so sorry. Like, yeah. We're so full. <laughs> we're so full. But like, it was so, it was so lovely. So and like, there was a power cut halfway through my shower. So I was just in, in the stranger's house in pitch black. So they came with candles for me to light up the bathroom. <laughs> like, the, I actually cannot like fathom how nice like, and generous everyone is, even in like their own... Crisis. Crisis, yeah. like, I'm, I was talking to... So uh, a lot of effort from local people and everyone who had come into contact with them seemed to have nothing but pretty extreme praise for them and a feeling like their, their faith in humanity had been restored. One of the people who's been volunteering is Adonis Hazemahalis. He's in Arkangelos in Eastern Roads, and he's been delivering supplies to firefighters as well as working in one of the evacuation centres. We knew that something was wrong on the first three days because we didn't have any wind at all. So when we saw that the fire is getting bigger and bigger on those three days because we didn't have any proper planes and support from Athens from other firefighter departments, only the ones that were here and the volunteers, we knew that it's it's getting worse and worse. Mm. And so how did it continue to develop? On the fourth day with the high winds, it just spread really quick to areas that were close to other villages because the fire started right in the centre of roads. And because the winds were directly to the north, it really got spread on the where all the evacuation happened on that day it spread so fast that we the we didn't have any time to take the information in and realize what's happening mm. everything went uh, went so fast and when the fire spread like through the hotels it was so fast and we didn't have time to think that it's going to happen it wasn't burning like steadily. It was jumping to the front trees like so quick. Like if you have a, like a fire gun, it was like that. It was like living hell. And has it been possible to keep in touch with everybody you know across the island? Uh, no, because actually at some point where the fire got critical, we had power cuts every hour. So all the phones on the lines, we didn't have any connection at all. It was scary because we felt and we were alone for the past four days. We heard that people need to evacuate. The, the local people opened the school and tried to figure everything out. And the people brought supplies for people that were coming in. We didn't have any medical equipment, any nothing, food, water. And you've been volunteering, haven't you? Can you tell me about what you've been doing the last few days? Yeah, um... I've been trying because for me, I I want to go to the fire to try and save something. But when you don't have any training or anything so dangerous to go to fire that it, the blaze for three, four meters in front of you. Mm. And so I try to help like here in the shelter to supply the firefighters, the volunteers, water, electrolytes, uh, face mask, gloves shovels where are you getting all that stuff from uh the local people they they're just getting 
hand in the pockets and go buy things and bring it to the school. We're just posting something on Instagram or Facebook. Oh, we need this at the school, bring croissants and snacks for the volunteers and firefighters. And the people would just keep coming for two hours, bringing like hundreds of packs of like croissants. That's amazing, isn't it? When you think that so many people on the island are going through the same situation as well. You know, they could also be in danger, but they're getting out there to help each other and to help the firefighters and to help the tourists. Have you had any assistance from the local government? Uh, to be honest with you, from my point of view here at the village, no. Uh, you feel like you, you've been abandoned like from, from the authorities. Coming up, the tourists can leave roads. What's left behind for the people who live there? Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV, read a book, meet up with a friend, maybe a little nap. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives – Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus. Rachel, There were still people flying from the UK to Rhodes this weekend at the same time as other people were being evacuated. Why has that been allowed to happen? From the travel companies and tour operators' perspective, a lot of the island was still operational then, but 
I suppose what's particularly difficult for people who were on package holidays, they really just wanted a call from their tour operators for them to to say, look, we know this is happening. We're going to cancel it. You're going to get your money back and that sort of certainty. Some people hadn't read the news that day, so they didn't know what to expect. So they're kind of dependent on on their travel companies, keeping them updated. And different people had different experiences, but there definitely was a, a, a of those we spoke to a bit of a sense of frustration. We've had this wedding booked, I think, for, um, we've got 54 guests um, for about two years. We're sort of going to sleep on Sunday night and, um, you know, all prepared to go. And then we got a text from EasyJet to say that our holiday had been cancelled. And we were just obviously devastated. We've spent thousands of pounds. We've had everything engraved with the date. We've got half our guests arrived here last week. So we knew that they were already out here waiting for us. Um, and, you know, and obviously people, if we were to have to reschedule, just wouldn't have been able to afford to come. So it's been, yeah, a nightmare. Push. Yeah, because people would assume that unless their travel operator's telling them otherwise, it's fine to go ahead. Jet2 and TUI, who are two of the biggest travel operators who arrange holidays to roads, have now cancelled all their planned flights, as have EasyJet. And they're now in the process of flying passengers back to the UK. The UK government issued new advice yesterday saying that travellers should check that they have the appropriate insurance before they go to roads. But they're still not advising people against going, are they? So the UK government didn't put uh, roads on its don't go advice from the Foreign Office, which means that it's harder for people to claim back missed holidays on insurance. So that was quite frustrating for a lot of people. But their rationale was that uh, that a lot of the island was unaffected and so people should feel like they're able to to go ahead with those travel plans um and presumably if all of those had been cancelled there would have been quite a lot of costs involved for local businesses and also for the airlines and, and tour operators as well and ministers have been seeking to assure people that it, that it's okay to travel to parts of the island among those were michael gove who said that he thought it was still safe for tourists to travel to roads um, in line with the government advice. Would you go at the moment? Yes, I'm planning to go to Greece um, in just over a week's time. Are you? Are you going to one of these islands? Yes. Oh, goodness. And you're not at all worried? Well, naturally, um, I I want to make sure that as a government that we do everything possible to support um, uh, Greece and indeed our tourists there. But no, I'm not, no. We've talked about how the wildfires are impacting the thousands of tourists on the island, but what about for the people who actually live there? For the people who actually live there, I mean, they've had a slightly different experience. Apparently, they haven't been in the evacuation centres so much. A lot of people have apparently found space with friends and family. They've also been in slightly different evacuation centres, um, it seems, to to the holidaymakers. But obviously, it's really sad when when your holiday is ruined, but it's much, much worse when your house burns to the ground. So there's been a, some real, real real awful stories uh, that we've encountered out here. We met uh, one man who was kind of looking around the sort of wreckage of his taverna uh, called Angelica. Not only my restaurant, my house, Ben. I don't have anywhere to sleep. I sleep my mom sleeps uh, four days in the beach. He said that he had just refurbed it over the winter and it was completely destroyed. He doesn't have insurance. He was expecting only a tiny bit of money from the government? I think like 10,000. Mm-hmm. Told me 10,000 euros. 
from the government to support. He said that some of the regulars had launched a crowdfunder, so I hope that works out for him. But he was just heartbroken, um, and his uncle was there. I think it was a family business, and he was crying, looking at everything that had been ruined, and not just the restaurant, but his house had burned down, all of his vegetable patches, and he was just like, look at everything he's built. It's now nothing. Um, and he was very frustrated, and this was something that was echoed by quite a lot of the local people that we spoke to that he felt that the the local government and also by extension the Greek government had been very slow to respond to the fires with the kind of level of urgency required and that there hadn't been enough fire engines, there hadn't been enough propeller planes dumping water that haven't happened quickly enough. What have the Greek government had to say about that? What What do they say they've been doing to support the firefighters and the relief effort? So... Um, the Greek government said that it's, you know, carried out a, a huge safety operation to to move residents and tourists. It said it's the biggest operation it's ever ever carried out in its country. This is Rhodes, but also it applies to the other two islands, Evia and and Corfu, um, as well. So it, it, it's been it's been quite a big issue across the country. Wildfires aren't uncommon in Greece, and in recent years they've become increasingly catastrophic. So the Greek government must have proper plans to deal with them, don't they? I mean, what what can they learn from the way in which these wildfires have spread across roads? Well, certainly among some of the local people we've spoken to, they had a perception that there had been cuts to local fire services and that it took the foreign fire services arriving for things to really get done and that there had been quite a slow response. Um, so what one volunteer that we spoke to said, that she said the view among, she has friends who work as firefighters on the island and that their perception was that that there was an underestimation of the severity of the fire, that it could have been tackled when it was smaller and before the winds picked up, which made it spread really quickly, and that that didn't happen. And because of that delay, that's why it, why it was so destructive. I cannot speak to the management of the fire. Uh, so I'm not an expert. All I can tell you is what I hear from my friends that are in the front line. Uh, they shouldn't have gotten to this level. A scientific study into the current heat waves um, that are spreading across Europe has come out this week by World Weather Attribution. And they've concluded that it would have been virtually impossible for the kinds of temperatures we're seeing to have happened without human-made climate change. How cognizant does the Greek government seem of that? How how urgent is the climate crisis to them in in making their policy. So the Greek Prime Minister has said that the Mediterranean is a hotspot for climate change uh, in response to the wildfires. And the Prime Minister commented that that there will be a difficult summer ahead. Uh, The wildfires are connected to incredibly high temperatures that have been seen across the Mediterranean. It's um, since I've been in Rhodes, it's been sort of around 35-ish degrees, but it was closer to 40 at the weekend, uh, which is which is unusually hot. There were 46, it was 46 degrees in, in, in some places as well, not in Rhodes. So, so the heat waves are, are a real problem. Greece relies so heavily 
on tourism. It makes about 25% of the economy. From the people that you've spoken to, thinking especially about the business owners, how concerned do they feel about the impacts of the wildfires on tourism? I mean, they're obviously very concerned, those who've lost their, their businesses. And I, th- I think that, yeah, I think they were worried about about the impact on tourism. Although what I will say is that all the tourists I asked, I was like, would you come back to Greece? Because it's an interesting question for an island that's so, and a country that's so dependent on tourism. How great a deterrent, terrible kind of climate events like this are. And everybody said that they would come back. And do you think you would holiday in Greece again? Yes, I think I would. I don't believe it's um, it's not the place. It's I mean, we've been here before and we've loved it. So, mm. you know, why, why wouldn't we come back if, if there was no fires and things? Does it make you worried about the impact of climate change because the oh, wildfires are still oh, connected? Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. But, um, certainly does. But really, this, what you see is what you get here. Now, <laughs> this is it. You know, we can't can't say it's the best but they've been treating us really really well Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i guess it's still in that sense being seen as a a freak event um although obviously the comments from from the prime minister sort of suggest that that there is some acceptance in government that that this isn't this isn't a freak event rachel thank you so much thanks for having me That was Rachel Hall, who's reporting from Rhodes, you can read at theguardian.com. Thanks to her and to Musarat and Adonis for talking to me. That's it for today. I'm Hannah Moore. This episode was produced by Alex Atak and Rose de Larabiti and sound designed by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Phil Maynard. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian.